Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Charlie Tyrrell, a Toronto filmmaker whose really lovely short film, My Dead Dad's Porno Tapes, was named one of Canada's top ten shorts last year by TIFF, and is currently on the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences shortlist for Best Animated Short Subject, which is pretty wonderful. We'll find out if it made the final five on January 22nd. In the meantime, Charlie is here to talk about Heavy Metal, the 1981 animated anthology that was supposed to bring the sexy sci-fi aesthetic of the cutting-edge fantasy magazine to North American cinemas, and which kind of failed to do that, partially because it was written and produced by the Stripes team of Dan Steinberg, Len Blum, and Ivan Reitman, which made for kind of a weird fit. But they did recruit a lot of their very talented friends to do the voice work, including John Candy, Harold Ramis, Eugene Levy, Joe Flaherty, Susan Roman, Al Waxman, John Vernon, Harvey Atkin, Marilyn Lightstone, August Schellenberg, and Jackie Burroughs. So the result, as you can imagine, made for a very strange experience for anyone who grew up watching Canadian film and TV. This is someone else's movie. Oh boy. Um, Where did Heavy Metal, I guess the answer to that, which might not be an answer, is Heavy Metal is A, I've seen it maybe a thousand times. And B, it's, you know, one of few movies that if if I walk into a room or I'm changing a channel and it's on, I'll watch wherever I come in at and finish it till the end. Okay. Like I can't I can't put it on and walk away from it. Like I I've seen it so familiar with it and it's 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 very much comfort food and it's funny and it's nice to watch as I get older and my my well my perspectives have changed and the movie has stayed the same. It's yeah. neat to kind of different opinions on different parts of it. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, when yeah. did you first experience When did you discover it? Oh, I would have been little, like, um, definitely a kid, maybe like eight really? or something. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't like I was, someone put it on for me. It was like, that's why I love heavy metals, because it was like the late night cable TV movie that I feel like every major broadcaster just had a license for it. So whenever they couldn't, find something to put on at 11 p.m., throw heavy metal in there in that time slot. So it was just always on TV at night. And, like, um, yeah, when I grew up, we, our house was pretty unfinished, and I shared a brother, or, sorry, shared a bedroom with my brother. So on a lot of weekends, uh, I would basically ask or just eventually allow myself to sleep in the basement because we had a pull-out couch. So it was, like, space to myself more than that I had the TV and I could watch TV late night so like I was one of those kids who like I would stay up watching TV till 6am then go to school for 7.30 the next day like and I just never felt tired so you know it was just always on and like with the space channel and like all the late night movies that they played like Earth Girls Are Easy um other ones like that where that would just like didn't have uh Buckaroo Banzai like you know movies are known in cult movies but they just they're reliable yeah like, and those are films you sort of need to figure out for yourself too mm-hmm. they're all really strange specific science fiction worlds those those three films that you mentioned um oh, done there. <laughs> um sorry i got lost there uh but it's it's such a different experience from what i had when i was a kid i i was also that kid i would watch movies yeah. i would watch tv all night but it was there was nothing on we had we like this is the day's when cable had 12 channels and right. there was just nothing to watch. I watched a lot of 
black and white monster movies mm-hmm. as a kid because that was what was available and a lot of old pulp film noir stuff that was just readily part of a broadcast syndication library yeah um the idea it's oh it must have been great to grow up with more than those options but also this the sci-fi stuff is so much more sophisticated than the things I was yeah watching. i mean um well it could be more sophisticated like what was that <laughs> jesse ventura Abraxas. Abraxas Guardian of yeah. the Universe. I saw like, that thing. Right. It could very easily be very, very lowbrow. And, yeah. and Heavy Metal like has tons of lowbrow elements, too. Like, it's pretty... It's... it's. I can't think of a term that's... It's a very strange film. Yeah. I think we can... Uh, we can get into it that way before we get into the stuff that, as you mentioned, has grown more problematic mm-hmm. over time. For a 12-year-old with hormones, I was it's like, say, yeah. You, like, when you're is... a kid, how do you process that? Because it came out when I was 15 or 16, if I got the numbers right. Mm-hmm. And I remember not going to see it because I was too good for heavy metal. Like, that was oh. my that was my position as a as a, a budding snob. It was just like, oh, really? They made a heavy metal movie? And then later I found out John Candy was one of the voices. And, and I didn't realize, because there was no communication in the early 80s when this film came out it just barfed out there yeah (laughs) you know columbia pictures released it 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 was promoted heavily because of tax breaks here but Mm -hmm. i didn't know that uh and then i found out all about this later on when it became really hard to find because the music rights kept it for a while it was really hard to find it anywhere except the u.s vhs tapes i think Mm -hmm. uh i finally caught up to it on pay tv here right and was i i think i felt like i was proven right it is sort of a mess and you know tonally it shifts from one one story to another and it's it's all over the place and there's this weird predatory thing with the green ball attacking people yeah uh but at the same time it is very much true to the vision of heavy metal Mm -hmm. the the magazine which is all about weird self-contained science fiction universes yeah yelling at each other well and i like also the anthology aspect to Mm. it as well like that was something that was um and, you know, I'm a short filmmaker now with feature film ambitions, but sure. I do like short content, and I always have. Um, I used to... The series I really loved as a kid was Amazing Stories. Sure, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, I feel like because it's shorter, there's kind of more expectations that will be a little bit more campy, so it is usually a little bit, but when you, you can still slip those really sincere elements into them, and... Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, now as an adult watching back, that's just all pure nostalgia for me. So it's like it'd be in a nice blanket. Yeah. But for heavy metal, it was, I mean, the draw was probably, A, I was a young boy. So, you know, play with toy guns and swords and all that. And all that's in this movie. But it's a cartoon. So, you know, when you're a kid, you're kind of brought up like cartoons are safe. Like I can watch this. I won't be in trouble right. for putting this on. Uh I didn't recognize the voices, but eventually, when it would be on or I'd be watching it, my mom would be like, oh, you know, that's John Candy, that's Eugene Levy, because, like, we grew up watching SCTV and all that stuff. So there's all that familiarity that, you know, yeah, all the blood and gore and the tits and stuff, like, it, that was almost on the sidebar, whereas the, the main stuff, like, you know, warriors and evil and, you know, battles and... You know, the soundtrack is something I wouldn't grow into until, like, my late teens, early 20s, um, which is another thing, because I wasn't really, like, I was, you know, the 12-year-old kid that listened to the Beatles, and then it's only now that, like, I'm, like, I started listening to more kind of 
older punk rock and older metal like right it back now then. is like it's classic rock now which exactly, is exactly really yeah bizarre. it's it's not that heavy um but yeah like i'd start getting into the skateboard scene and all that and you know more underground scenes and heavy metal is such a feature and all that and then mm. you know fast forward five years and i'm getting into the stop motion world and heavy metal is such like a tentpole for that kind of thing like there's no animator that hasn't seen it and yeah um and it is so specific and weird and singular that even like they tried to make a sequel in 2000 yeah metal 2000 and it's terrible yeah it's forgettable yeah, yeah. but everybody immediately said like no matter what their objections were it was also that oh that's not heavy metal it's not the thing that i think of yeah and that's the thing that keeps me thinking about it now when you when you suggested it it's like oh yeah that does make a perfect line it lines up perfectly with what your short is about Mm -hmm. even though your short isn't about what it says it's about the title is a mislead um and we'll i'll tweet out the link to the (laughs) to the vimeo page so people can actually see it and understand it because that will help uh but yeah my my dead dad's porno tapes is not about your dead dad's porno tapes and and heavy metal kind of is this one of those things that would be hidden up in the ceiling yeah it's 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 something that you kind of need to discover i feel Hmm. um there's something illicit about the movie now too yeah and like you know now if you i mean there aren't still video stores but you know the image of tarna in like the skimpy outfit like if a mom's walking down the aisle with her kid and they point out that like that's no we're not (laughs) we're not going to rent that we're not we're not going to watch that um, so that's kind of why it was, you know, a movie found by channel surfing, just like some of the other movies I mentioned, like weird colors, weird characters, you know, unrecognizable actors sometimes and, yeah. or recognizable ones too. It's like, like earth girls are easy. Like, Oh, why is Jim Carrey in this thing? Like, yeah, that kind of stuff. Is that Damon Wayans? Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. A furry Damon Wayans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to stop. Heavy metal was one of those things where when you flipped across it, I would assume you just have to figure out where you were in it for the first time. Because it doesn't, there are a lot of barriers to entry. It doesn't really make for an easy watch. Even just looking at it again before we did this, um, I realized that the den sequence, there's no dialogue that explains any of it. It's just, you're thrown in there, and it's just this weird male wish fulfillment thing. Yep. That is, that is what the den comic was, what Richard Corbin's comic was, but it's so... It's so strange to hear John Candy's voice coming out of this giant muscle barbarian. Yeah, and I feel like the way he played it, like, was he was self-aware of the ridiculousness of yeah, it. Like, he's he doing that big, deep, booming, slow, simple speech kind of thing. Um, and his internal monologue is, like, this wiry, smart, fast-talking guy, right? So yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah it's, it's a weird thing. Um, but, yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> like, we can't choose what we love. Yeah. Uh, it is... Yeah, it's a thi- it's a movie that simultaneously feels like people cared about it a whole lot, and also that people were just doing it for the money. There's yeah. this bizarre collision. I think it's a, I think it happens in the interstitials where there's a the sense that the animators or the producers are just going, I don't know, just green ball. Yeah, well, and and that might be like I know that how it was produced was it was produced with a ton of different animation houses and mm-hmm. that wasn't for let's give each every segment its own unique style that was like let's make, make this movie thing. within a year kind yeah, of thing yeah. uh, so you know maybe some of the hands working on it were treating it like a job and we're rushing through it and there's a lot going on so that made it kind of confusing and 
for the higher ups and the producers to really see what was being made. But the core people, the writers, Ivan Reitman, like the directors, I feel like they're kind of allowed to more silently steer, yeah. you know, what they want it to be, which is what, what it ended up being, right? Yeah, I'd love to see the script and just, you know, what was cut, what was kept, how much of it was sh- was shifted around. Is this the original running order? Because I don't think it is. I mean, some part of my brain tells me that they're... They I don't think it is, no. And, and that's what's weird about um, this is the, the, it, it presents them all in a different order. Right. Um, yes, so we have here, uh, just as a reference, we have The Art of Heavy Metal, which is the New York Zoetrope book. Huh. I'm, no, I'm sure I own this at some point. <laughs> Uh, which is the animation for the 80s, which totally turned out not to be. Uh, but yeah, this is how they sold it. Um, the world's greatest animation artists collaborate on what may be the best animated film since Yellow Submarine or Fantasia. And again, to put those two things up there in terms yeah, of complexity, yeah. maybe, but they really seem to be misjudging the audience for these things. Yeah, I think this was this movie was made for teenage boys. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and Heavy Metal, the magazine, always claimed that it was made for adults. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, what the th- maybe initially it was, but the things that Metal Erlant turned towards as they as they realized they were becoming successful, and I, I some part of my brain is telling me National Lampoon bought it for a while in the eighties or owned it, uh, steered the it. Guy the guy who what, I can't remember his name, Natty but the guy Simmons, who co-owned Na- or co-founded National Lampoon owned Natty it. Simmons was that? No, it? Um, I think it even says it in here. Oh, maybe if he was involved. Yeah. Oh, Len Mogul. Len Mogul, which yeah. is the best possible name for somebody to do yep. that. Um, so he was one of the National Lampoon? Yeah, it people? says uh, founder, publisher of Heavy Metal and co-founder of National Lampoon. Okay. Um, I guess he was one of the guys who sat in the background. Yeah. But what a what a weird place, because Lampoon also turned towards, they did like a hard turn towards pandering and, um, and you know, TNA humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on how Animal House did, I mean, they always they always used nudity, but it was really torqued up in the eighties. Yeah, uh, as was everything else, and and it always fascinated me that Heavy Metal and Nat Lamp came out of the same house for a while because they're so completely different, other than the pandering to teenage boys who are not their original audience, but who are clearly where the money is. Yeah, well, I think the similarity there would be here's a genre that we know group of people either a little or a lot are into so let's just feed all kinds of content into that genre whether it's you know essays or comics or you know ads and right. they, they knew how to take an interest and piece together you know a, or how to package together a product in a magazine for someone right and, yeah and lampoon it was humor and and heavy metal was sci-fi fantasy and yeah the one thing i remember uh, taking away from heavy metal around the time the movie came out was that they published an issue with um, uh, a photo spread of Debbie Harry and H.R. Giger. And right. Giger had designed all sorts of insane airbrush costumes for, for Debbie Harry to wear. And that was that was how I think I discovered heavy metal. It's like, these people are involved. Okay. And then it turned out to be nothing at all like that. The have, rest you seen, of have you seen his documentary? I have. Yeah. yeah. That one was weird and yeah. sad and like his home is like it's cool but disturbing yeah like, it's like a a temple to his own obsessions to yeah. his fetishes and and the more time you spend with them the more you realize oh you're really alone like you just do yeah. this this is your thing yep and again there's that heavy metal hermit art thing right mm-hmm. like that's the sort of thing that appealed presumably to people who read the magazine who, who read the comic books that the stories they put out yeah and the movie is 
aimed at a wider audience, but there's that divide that it never really clears. I think like, I don't I don't know that that's a negative either. It, the movie captures the comic, the magazine's soul, in a way that almost works against it being a movie, because it's sort of so deep and immersive in its storylines that you really can't be distracted. You need to be alone with it, yeah. almost. And yeah, then, yeah. I never saw it with an audience, but I kind of wonder how it would have played in a room with 500 people. I, this is a movie that I would die to see with an audience. Yeah. Like, And that's something I've been really trying to do a lot over the past few years. Like, um, I just saw David Byrne's True Stories at the Royal, <sighs> and that was amazing. And then the next night I got to see him perform. Oh, yes. Um, was it last year when they were doing all the P.T. Anderson films and seeing Boogie Nights with the audience and, you know, where you hear the preemptive laughs, like, for lines, which can be a bit annoying at times, but... Yeah. But then you hear other people getting it for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just um, heavy metal, and I maybe shouldn't say this, but apparently the... What was the underground cinema on Spadina? The Toronto Underground Cinema, yeah. Apparently there's a 35 millimeter print in that building in a janitor's closet somewhere. Still. Of heavy metal, yeah. So it was a plan of mine and a good friend who also adores this movie that we were going break in one day and steal it. <laughs> um, not that I have a 35 millimeter projector, but that's irrelevant to have that yeah. physical copy of the movie as like, you know, that would be a good totem. Yeah, um, I, would, I can totally understand that impulse. Yeah. But uh, I haven't <laughs> bought the ski mask yet. So, you know, well, I'll get now, around to it. Yeah. You have the window between this coming out and, mm-hmm. and today I, no jury would convict you. That's <laughs> like, why no, would, I'm above the law. Yeah. yeah I'm this, fine. this is an art theft. Yeah. This is, this is fine. It's such a... There's a movie in that, too. Uh, it's it's a film that does inspire this loyalty. When, when it was, it went away for a while because of the music rights. It was never easily available on video. And then I think the Blu-ray release was some kind of weird arcane thing that Sony set up through Amazon. You could only get it from them for a while. There were five or six titles that were yeah. specific to... Well, yeah, I looked up. It was it was just in 2011 that it came out, and I was like, I was surprised that was that recently. Yeah, that makes like, sense. Or maybe it was a Best Buy exclusive. Hmm. But it was really hard to find. I, I still don't have it, and I was getting literally everything that they put out at that time. Um, it's here somewhere. I'm sure there's a VHS. The there's, a, there's a DVD of it somewhere. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there probably was a VHS of it, too. But you could not get it for love or money. For yeah. the longest time, even on DVD, I think it came out when Heavy Metal 2000 came out. They found a way to sort of twin them, right? Yeah, made yeah. it viable. Which is, they should just stay away from each other. Yeah, and, they do. And now yeah. there's all this talk that oh, I know it's been like a decade long conversation that's going to be remade. I think as live action. Oh God! I, don't, yeah, I mean, you could, but yeah. why would you? Yeah, it's um, you have a lot of cold actors. We'll see. It's those. I guess the success of 300 probably demonstrates that you can do anything in a stylized comic book format you know, green screen yeah. the world of it but yeah why would you short of like the hmm, the problem I think with doing a live action version of the stories in this collection is that they wouldn't work with people like they have yeah, to that, or even if they did an animated version of it it's like it's already been it, done it's the, the concept of a film property being attached to kind of like a fan club type of magazine yeah. is a bit gone like the people who are going to watch the movie are guys like you and me and we're going to reluctantly do it and yeah and then maybe probably, never watch it again probably kind of complaining right? it isn't as good as the original yeah um, yeah how would you even do like what would what could satisfy people now that it is a heavy metal concept it would, now, it would have to be its own thing it would yeah. have to take the risk and make itself different um 
Yeah, like, mm-hmm. but, or, or I don't know that would be necessarily be a remake, but it would take the core concept the of heavy metal and, yeah. like, spit out something different. How but. do you, yeah, how do you update it, and how do you make it work in the, I mean, even the, the most recent attempts to relaunch Conan the Barbarian have, have suffered from being yeah. too rooted in what they think they used to be? Yeah. Does and that make sense? What I don't like about those movies is that they kind of short the original for me like mm-hmm. um even when south park did the the parody of heavy metal oh, that like that right. kind of hurt the original heavy metal a bit for me because it was kind of like a i felt like i had this thing that i knew a lot of other people liked but it wasn't something everyone liked and when it ends up out in the world and something like south park that everyone knows and watches then it's it corrupts they know it as yeah. that rather than what it originally is right, right. and yeah. that kind of you know whenever you mention someone they're like oh yeah that south park thing rather than Oh yeah, heavy metal. Yeah, like, the parody replaces it. Yeah, I mean, if it's a loving parody, that can actually help, but almost never does. It turn out that way. Mm-hmm. And the um, the expectations are always going to be so specific to the audience member, right? Like it'll never be the thing exactly the thing that you need it to be, and someone else needs it to yeah. be. Um, I'm trying to think. What was the one example? There's there's this. I, I, weirdly enough, I'm thinking about Aquaman, which right. Have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it. It kind of looks. Towards the end, once it really plunges into the comic book universe, it's it's really fun because it's the first time I think DC has allowed its movies to reflect the fact that these are made of comic book origins, right. that they don't have to be super serious or mm-hmm. super realistic. And there's a moment where I just thought, oh, this is Flash Gordon. Like This is the 1980 right. Flash Gordon movie, which is sort of a heavy metal movie in its own way. Could have done Flash Gordon, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Same, uh, the same itch is scratched. Uh, yeah, I feel like Flash Gordon was even later night. Like, yeah. kind of... Yeah, maybe. it would have been. Um, <laughs> it was a... I love that. But, yeah, so Flash much. Gordon is is kind of a bit more of a one-note joke for me, whereas Heavy Metal Kai has a bit more nuance and right. a bit more, more depth that. to it. Yeah, but Flash Gordon is effectively, in its second half at least, it's like, it's got all the weird fetishism, it's got heavy sexualization, it's mm-hmm. got homoeroticism that even the movie doesn't seem to fully understand... It's got the heavy metal touch, yep. kind of, um, and weirdly, Mobius didn't work on it. He he developed, he designed the, uh, Besson's Fifth Element, and yep. did some other stuff here and there. But yeah, that's one he didn't touch, and it still feels like yeah, it's a knockoff, uh, like it escaped from him. Yeah, metal. but that thing predates both of them. I mean, the Flash Gordon properties go back to the '30s, yep. I think, if I remember correctly. And then that stuff was based on Lensman, and it goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, oh. Being a kid and seeing Flash Gordon, I was twelve when I saw it for the first time. And it, I saw that in the theater, and that was amazing. That was a, a re- I think I went back that same week to see it again, as was the style at the time. There's one movie. Let's go see it again. Yeah. Well, there was. It was tricky for me because when I first saw it, I was a kid, same age, like ten to twelve. Mm-hmm. Saw parts of it, and I think I like passed out or fell asleep. Right. And then another time, you know, maybe that same summer. I thought I was watching it, but it was like, it was like a showcase movie called Flesh Gordon. Oh, good God. So it was like the porn kind yep, of knockoff. Yep, yep. And I was Which confused. Pre-dates. I was like, oh, was that other kind of goofy movie I was watching this movie? Yeah. And then like, you know, my parents were still up, so I, I <laughs> turned away from it and kind of would put it on mute and invest back and see what I was watching. Yeah. So after that, I kind of, that is you know, the third attempt was like. You know, when I was trying to watch Flesh Gordon, I saw it was in the preview channel that was coming up. So I was like, oh, I'm going to watch that. And I watched Flash Gordon 
from start to finish waiting for the nude scenes right. like basically and i was like oh no i <laughs> it wasn't until like i think a while later that i realized that you know, it was two different things oh and God, i got how, trapped into it yeah how young would you have had to be to not to just not well, i wasn't very bright like wow. i was uh not a, I'm not just a imagining what this does to someone to watch all of these because this this is again something that I was completely shielded from. Mm-hmm. You have a, there was no VCR in my home until I was in my teens. Um, we just didn't have it. The technology was right. my dad had one. My mom didn't have one, and um, he had, he had all that Moses and Imer late night TV <laughs> yeah. like that. Just the doors perfect open for, for a young boy. Um, <laughs> this and, is such a Toronto experience. I don't yeah, know well, just and even more than that. Um, like there's Sunday Night Sex Show with Sue, like all that yeah, stuff, which yeah. was educational. Um, and I remember a big one because the thing was when I would sleep in the basement and stay up late watching these shows and watching these movies, my parents' bedroom was directly above. Okay. And there was a cutout hole where the ventilation went that the ventilation had been reworked. So it was just a hole between the rooms. So like I had to be very sensitive to the volume of the TV right. whenever I did find some of these racier shows. So you're creating an entire taboo network for yourself. Yeah, all on mute, too. Yeah, Um, without understanding it fully. And I remember uh, coming across what I would eventually learn was Trailer Park Boys. Oh, yeah. And I was watching, I was like, whoa, what is this? This is cool. Like, And then it was like, oh, this is a reality show? And then they were like, you know, smoking weed and shooting guns. And I was like... I remember being convinced that that was a documentary or a real right. show. So I was like, I shouldn't be watching this while they can hear what I'm watching. Like, I'll put it away, like, to okay. something else. And, like, got startled off from watching that the first couple attempts. And then later when you found out, no, it's all for laughs and it's a mockumentary, it's right. fine. Um, this is like people who thought the Blair Witch Project was real based yeah, on Yeah, exactly. Like I said, not that bright. <laughs> um, I think you're just open to stuff. Yeah. Or, uh, like, you know, it, it's when, when it's late and it's a bit racier and the curiosity gets the better of you and yeah. whether that's you know sex or violence or yeah no it's, know, a, it's, a, stuff, it's like. a, a hint of a world that you don't have access to mm-hmm. right like it's it's the it's the forbidden because it's literally not allowed and then yeah. suddenly it is after whatever o'clock the world opens up yeah after 11 p.m yeah that's this is what, what cronenberg's videodrome was about this is right literally, yeah, that's yeah. what that was and that's a movie that yeah it's Please don't tell me you saw that when you were six. No, no, no. Um, I didn't see that. Actually, shamefully, didn't see that till film school. Till I moved here for film school. Um, but uh, yeah, it has that kind of late night cable TV attitude where it's it's like, you know, as of eleven p.m. For some reason, someone was convinced that only grown ups are awake at that point. Yeah. So let's put on grown up TV. All lights like, are off. Yep. Pull out the heavy metal magazines. It's time. Yep. It's such a weird movie to talk about now. I'm still trying to figure out how to write the opening while we're talking. Like, how do you describe it? How do you? How do I introduce it to people? And by the by, the time they hear this part of the conversation, they'll have already heard whatever it is I figure. Right. Out. Well, but it's like you know, it's an animated science fiction fantasy that thinks it's more expensive than it is because yep. you know a lot of you can see in some sequences the corners are being cut and then there are others that are as you say they're incredibly lavish and beautiful and then the faces look like they were drawn with a pencil in five minutes time. yeah like parts of it seem slapped together and parts of it seem innovative even like by today's standards so mm. it's 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 really kind of the frankenstein's monster of 
animated movies, I guess. Like, yeah. Well, because the stuff that was happening around the same time, like Bakshi's Lord of the Rings was mm-hmm. around, and um, with his rotoscoping thing, which kind of feels like they used it in the they dens. They used a lot of rotoscoping in this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's... And it's not the same because Bakshi was dealing with painted backgrounds and things that really don't look like anything else. And there was that sword and sorcery wave, like at the time in the early eighties, that mm-hmm. was it was cheap and it was easy, and you could make because Conan the Barbarian had made a lot of money, and so there was all this other stuff, Deathstalker and Barbarian Queen, yep. and there was a whole industry pumping out these live action versions, and they were all terrible. What's the other one? Conan Red Sonja. Red Sonja was yeah, that wasn't a good one either. Yeah, it was the cheap knockoff of the Conan movies. Yeah, like the first to 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 digress for a second, like the 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 big serious Schwarzenegger Conan film, the first one, mm-hmm. it's kind of dopey. People loved it, and yeah, I love that movie. I, I love the, the sequel, whole I the whole going from a child slave to modern massive man is just by him turning yeah, the, the the wheel for yeah. you know 30 years or that's whatever. A, that is a great image yep. like, that is exactly what the comic <laughs> just watch the size of his legs increase over time and all these cutaway shots and yeah yeah but then it just gets so self-serious with the Tulsa doom stuff and the i am your father like it's just yeah it feels very much like because I mean, it's oliver stone on all the cocaine in the world trying to come up with right. anthology yeah. out of the comic books uh which weirdly echoes how robert e howard wrote them but forgot that that was yeah funny. yeah yeah and then the second one came along and I kind of like that one more Conan the Destroyer, the Destroyer yeah, yeah. It's uh, kinda, I it's, haven't seen it in too long to even comment like I'm it just feels more like Conan should feel it's yeah. kind of more self-aware and a little funnier and it definitely doesn't have the giant stentorian self-seriousness yeah um, and then Heavy Metal is sort of playing in that sandbox because the like the Den story is effectively you know, I was a teenage Conan for yeah. lack of anything else. Um, but with way more sexuality that it doesn't fully understand, I think. Right. And, like, that's the thing that... Um, the thing that I associate with Heavy Metal, uh, the magazine... I get, and I guess this is my own prejudice, too, because this is what kept me from seeing it at the first time around. Is like, oh, this is for... This is a, a comic book for people who want to be grown-ups but aren't there yet. Right. And this is sort of the bridge between comics are silly and comics are serious and sexy and, and yeah. grim and, and adult like it's it's somebody's idea of what adult is mm-hmm. and the movie kind of embraces that in a way that i don't know i i certainly didn't give it credit for it at the time when i when i caught up to it later it's just like oh i think it knows what it's doing like it's yeah and, and there, there's it. there is like there is a good sensibility to it and i i rewatched it last night of course and um of course that was you know when you look at the hands that were at play like the John Candies and the Harold Rameses, like, you know, people that also did contribute to their own writing, um, they probably were quite self-aware of what it was. And and you can tell that when, the, especially when certain characters play the smaller bit parts, they're playing it way hammier yeah. and way more kind of throwaway, but for the sake of adding to that, like, you know, this isn't supposed to take itself seriously. Like, this is allowed to be funny and cheeky and... Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone forgets Ivan Reitman started with Cannibal Girls. Like he he was not a he was not always a comedy guy. I mean, Cannibal Girls is funny, mm-hmm. and it stars Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin. And it's but it is a, it was sold as an exploitation movie. It was produced as a tax shelter blood and guts <laughs> and, and sexy ladies movie, which it is not. But it kind of also is. Uh, it's hard to explain. I, I'm sure I have that here somewhere. Never seen it. It is a Canadian classic, yep. sort of. Um, but it, it's his sensibility is clearly if you get 
comic uh, actors, if you if you put funny people in these roles, they will make stunt up. That they will make the the characters work. Yeah, and they they kind of protect the film a little bit because they put that little bit of the shield where yeah, whether you're trying to be serious and you put that comedian element there. If the serious doesn't work or doesn't pay off the way you meant it to, then it's like, okay, well, we have this balance to it. So take it for that rather than, you know, something that's more diehard. And yeah. yeah, it's an insurance policy. Yeah, exactly. And it works. Like, in, in some movies, it completely holds up today. Like, um, I mean, Bill Murray, right? Like, right. who... Oh, just something... Always kind of played the dog-eyed, goofy guy, but if you took the script on paper, it's like, oh no, like, like meatballs. Like, yeah, this is about, you know, friendship and standing up to kind of people who have it made easier than you kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And it's not, you it's throw him in there and like, there are people who rewatch now cause it's a Bill Murray movie and you know, the, the original kind of selling factor of that about being about kids at camp is probably dead and gone. Now it's just forever going to be a Bill Murray movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. He adds this, this anarchic charge to mm-hmm. everything just because you really don't know why he's there like yeah. what, why his character is there in Meatballs it, it happens in Ghostbusters too Peter Venkman is yeah. kind of a terrible person but also <laughs> you can't not watch him you have to keep looking to see yeah. what he's going to do it's like that element of irreverence to you know if they weren't there then everyone would just be a straight man and yeah, yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't work yeah like certainly kind of Conan with the voice of John Candy is a different animal. Yeah. Like it's a completely different animal. And it, it is just, his voice is too high and reedy to inhabit that space. So, yeah. yeah, when he puts on the deeper voice, what you mentioned earlier, when he drops it, he sounds like he's trying. He sounds like <laughs> yeah. he's trying too hard to be big, fierce sword warrior guy. Yeah, he's not, I, I, don't, I can't obviously speak to what was going through his mind, but it doesn't sound so much like, I'm going to try and sound like, a tough guy, like a big, strong. I'm not going to get into that headspace. It sounds like I'm going to sound like a parody of a tough yeah. guy kind of thing. He's like, selling it to the people around him. Yeah, um, yeah. He he's one of the few actors like John Candy. Anything with a minute, you have to watch. Like kind of thing. Same thing. If if it's on TV and you watch it, you finish it. Kind of thing. Um, Ooh, even nothing but trouble. I love nothing but trouble. Really? Yeah. Oh, that is okay. Um, that's, that's the episode. that's the Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, one, the right? Yeah, with Chevy thing. Chafe. Chevy Chase and yeah. Demi Moore. Yeah, yeah. That, I can talk about nothing but trouble for a while. Um, <laughs> that is a movie that I know I saw it when I was really little. Like, maybe like three or four. And it was the two weird prosthetic brothers yeah, yeah. in the junkyard. And that is all I remembered. And for years like up until my mid-20s i was convinced that that was a dream i had see i know people respond to this movie that way yeah that this is not the first time i've heard someone describe I it i didn't that think way. it was real and somehow i like remembered it again and latched onto it and i was like no that must have been a real movie and you know with you know the development of you know the google search engine you can i feel like you can throw the most random yeah, sure like Brothers, junkyard, monsters, like yeah, Mr. Bump movie Stripper. question mark. Eventually, you'll see a still image, like mm. kind of thing, and that's how I refound it and rediscovered. I was like, it was like, wow, this is terrible, but it was also like it. It had a certain. I, I had that like having that success of being able to find it again. Yeah. You know? Oh no, that's amazing. It's a totem. Yeah. Uh, I am kind of fascinated by that movie because it is so. And the weird throwaway dick nose yeah, joke. Yeah. Like, if you look up, and Tupac Google, is in it. Yep. yep. Yeah. If you Google. Dan Aykroyd penis nose 
this is the thing that comes up. <laughs> Not that anyone should do that, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, if you if how, okay, if you win the Oscar, you can come back and talk about nothing but trouble. Yeah. Well, I think I I think I maybe overstepped. I think that was all I could comment on it. Really. No, that's good. Um, that's plenty. But it, just the fact that it it haunted you that way that it yeah. got into your head and didn't leave. I was like, that was that couldn't have been a movie. Like, yeah, I saw it. It was. Yeah. Sort of. That's fascinating. Okay, so just to to get us out of this before we do end up talking more about it again, because yeah. that is one of those things where it's like, it almost feels like outsider art that that some insane artist convinced a studio to throw money at it, and that person just happened to be Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. It was a passion project for him. He, mm-hmm. he tried to make it for years. Um, okay, so we'll get out of that, and uh, we'll put a pin in it. But uh, as far as heavy metal goes, based on you know what I've seen of that and what I've seen of, of, of your work, of, of my dead dad's porno tapes mm-hmm. is there anything from heavy metal that you borrowed or lifted or stole just in terms of some kind of an animation bridge or any other way that it's seeped into your work with dead dad's porn tapes it certainly didn't uh end up in the film but uh kind of like what we've been talking about with as far as atmosphere goes you know late night suburban basement cable tv kind of you know of that kind of quietly and secretly watching and exposing yourself yeah. to material, whether it's heavy metal or porno tapes, like, um, and that in, innately kind of makes you precious about the material. Uh, so I know that that wasn't really something that I was like, how can I take that concept and stew into the movie? But it's kind of, it's always been present mm-hmm. in a lot of my films. Um, I, I love, you know, the image of a dark, space that only had the lights that are on is all that you can see and it directs what you see and like um and working with animation is great because that is just all the more controllable and it becomes practical like uh there's a film i did uh, a few years ago called i thought i told you shut up which was my first time working with stop motion and actually the guy who was supposed to steal the heavy metal print with me brett lawn he um he did the stop motion for that and okay. It was about an artist, uh, David Boswell, and his comic book property, Reed Fleming, that, you know, almost oh, made into a Hollywood film. World's Angriest Milkman? World's, world's Toughest Milkman. Toughest um, okay. And the thing about David Boswell is he illustrates his comics alone in the middle of the night. So we, he's in Vancouver, and in Ontario, we rebuilt his entire basement workspace. Like, we replicated his drafting table restacked like the things he had on his desk and it was you know an artist who's been working in his space for you know upwards of 30 years so we had it was pretty tricky to replicate a lot of stuff but um we wanted to create that weird atmosphere where it's calm and it's peaceful but there are people sleeping upstairs so you have to be quiet a little bit and like what the light sees is what we want the audience to see because that's where the animation comes to life is what the light is projecting on right and um that sounds a bit more heighty than you know it really sells it's still just a gag um but yeah I, I just it's that atmosphere that i've always been so drawn to and um yeah like it's as far as what made in dead dads it was just that quiet exploration um where you don't want to alert anyone that you're snooping around. Right. Like, I'm a, I'm a snoop, like, kind of thing. Like yeah. and, a sense of something secret. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it will probably forever be in the stuff I make until I grow out of it. Yeah, 
but, you don't have to do that. Yeah. And you don't have to grow out of it. That's it's it's something that's so primal and and instantly understandable, right? The idea of not necessarily the forbidden, but the idea that you found something mm-hmm. that uh, maybe you weren't supposed to see, or maybe you needed to see. Yeah, which sort of plays throughout the entire. All the things we see in in Dead Dad's porno tapes are things that you needed to see, or things that you saw and are sharing with us. Yeah, and it the impact of that is like it's really profound. It's it's something that kind of wallops you by the end of it. I don't know that anything in in yeah. Well, it's weird because like you know they're 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 just things. They're objects, but they're echoes of a whole life. Yeah. Like when my friends and I, when we were kids and teenagers, like. You break into abandoned buildings and abandoned houses, right? And you look through and you see these pieces are leftovers of people and they're if they're not dead, they're at least gone from there yeah. and they're clues. They're they're whether whether and whether the clue leads to something that's worth discovering or not, um, they are still pieces that, you know, are so fragile to time because eventually, you know, that leftover furniture is going to be destroyed or sold or donated. The things in that drawer, the way that they're placed, the way that that person placed them there, that's going to get emptied out and like, or the floor is going to be swept and what's on there is going to be gone forever. Right. So it's, um, it's a weird version of, you know, curation. Yeah. When you can, when you have a limited amount of objects or pieces and, we're not just talking photos. We're talking a chewed up pencil. We're talking, you know, a broken wristwatch. Um, when there's just a limited amount of that, then, you know, what can you piece together? Yeah. Like, it's archeology. span Yeah. I mean, the boxes in here are probably, there's a, I'm sure there's a heavy metal, uh, if you exploded or vaporized into thin air and someone had to look through this place, like what, what, you know, what would this, what would this room tell about you yours uh, is much more organized than most people and it would be it would some, say, certain things would be clear this guy loves movies yeah but, i was a hoarder but i was a very ocd hoarder yeah um but then there's also there's probably other things that are yeah, yeah. you know why is this here and what does this say like isn't that the, the most important question of all yeah why is this here why is heavy <laughs> metal here because it's awesome yep fuck yeah my thanks to charlie tyrrell whose Oscar-shortlisted short, My Dead Dad's Porno Tapes, is viewable on the New York Times website and on Vimeo. We'll post a link on the show's Twitter account. You should see it. It's really great. Thanks also to Nicola Pender. She knows what she did. You can find Charlie on Twitter at Charlie underscore Tyrrell, and you can find Heavy Metal on Blu-ray and DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment in a version that includes an entire rough cut of the film, which is pretty cool. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.